You're listening to Artistic Finance, show 88. On this Valentine's Day, we get an update on the Artistic Finance 6K, the $6,000 of investments we purchased nine months ago. We've gathered a bond investment CEO, a data analyst, and two lighting designers to see how the investments compare to the S&P 500. We'll review what we learned about investing and talk about the perfect financial gift to get your loved one on this Valentine's Day. I ask that you remember the fee for listening, and that fee is to tell somebody about this show. If you do it tonight over a candlelit dinner, that would certainly be romantic, and I can almost guarantee that it will end up with an intimate moment. If you're looking for an intimate moment tonight, tell somebody about artistic finance. It's totally worth a shot. So many thanks in advance for doing that, and without further ado, let's get to the show. You're listening to Artistic Finance Podcast, where your host, Ethan Steimel, interviews successful artists, leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire artists to grow their wealth. If you didn't catch last night's concert by Mary J. Blige, Snoop Dogg, Dr. Dre, Eminem, and Kendrick Lamar, I recommend watching a replay. The set was beautifully designed by Ez Devlin and Bruce Rogers. It was a neighborhood block, but painted entirely white. The costumes were only black, white, and silver. And the lighting by Al Gurdon was expert, especially with half-daylight poking through the glass roof of the stadium. After the concert, the LA Rams won the Super Bowl football game. Now, a note about today's episode. It was an absolute blast. I was coming off an exhausting week of lighting Revolt. She said Revolt again for the Actor Studio Drama School down in Battery Park. And I simultaneously lit the musical A Class Act at Theater Row. Directed by a previous guest, Rob Schneider and produced by a previous guest and former Disney Channel CEO, Jim Jamiro. As much as I wanted to attend the opening night of A Class Act, it was during that time that today's guests were available, and I jumped at the chance to chat with them. And I'm so glad I did, because they gave me such a zap of energy. I hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I enjoyed recording it, These guests are so much fun, so nice, and wickedly smart. It's thrilling to have so much brilliance in one episode. So thank you to them for joining me, and let's get to that chat. Welcome and thank you for listening. I'm your host, Ethan Steimel, and today I welcome an illustrious panel of guests that I'm so excited to have. So first off, our most recent guest from episode 86 on bond investing, the CEO of Liquidify, Maitre Gopalakrishnan. Welcome, Maitre. Thank you so much, Ethan. It's great to be back. All right. And our repeat guest from our live episode at LDI, lighting designer Ebony Madry. Hey, hey. So good to be back with y'all, with you, Ethan. Great to be back. Ebony has the most energy of almost anybody I know. It's, it's the coffee and the caffeine. It's the caffeine. <laughs> she says crying, tears going down her eyes. Um, Okay, and then we have a new guest who who will be perhaps on a future episode. Brand new guest here, a leader in data and analytics, Katie Berman. Welcome, Katie. Yes, hi. I'm excited to be here. And also, I accidentally planned this, or I didn't plan this, but we represent all the time zones in the continental U.S., I think. 
I love that. I love that. That's uh, that's definitely a feat within itself, us all being able to get together. <laughs> Seriously. Okay, so we're recording this on February 10th, 2022. Nathan Chen just won a gold medal in figure skating at the Beijing Olympics. The indoor mask mandate in New York has expired. So that's a sign, I think, that COVID's mischief is on its way to being managed. Maitre, what's what's the news today in Colorado? So I actually looked this up because I was like, I feel like everything I'm hearing in Colorado is just related to COVID. And I wanted to come up with something different. But um, I found that apparently the first gray wolf pup that was born in Colorado was tagged by state wildlife officials today. And gray wolves are endangered species. And they tagged this gray wolf which I thought was very heartwarming and kind of different from what we always hear. So yeah. yeah. All right. I love that. Wolves in Colorado. All right, Ebony in LA. What's going on in LA? Similar to New York, we also are having our mask mandate um, expire soon, which is kind of wild because I feel like Omicron is still very much out here living and breathing. Um, and um, <laughs> it's nuts because the Super Bowl is this weekend and I somehow got out of not doing a single event for the production company that I worked for. Uh, but everybody else in the city is, I feel like, working and scrambling. But I'm somehow free from the madness, so I'm going to be at home. <laughs> I forgot that the Super Bowl, I've been in two cities when the Super Bowl happened. And they prep, like, they start setting up tents and everything, like, six months ahead of time. And it becomes a whole village. It's crazy. Yeah, no, it's nuts. We do we do a lot of stuff for the Super Bowl naturally, even more so now that they're in our in the city uh, in in LA. But it's it's nuts. It's crazy. I don't plan to leave the house at all this week. <laughs> awesome. All right, Katie, what's the news in St. Louis? We got about a foot of snow last week, which is unusual for the Midwest. So that has been a big topic. Um, everybody's been snowed in for like a week, but it is slowly melting because, of course. Last week, it was like 20 degrees, and this week, it's like 60, so big weather swings are normal. I will say I have also been seeing a lot of news about the Super Bowl. St. Louis, as you may know, still salty about the Rams leaving, so we've been, I've been seeing a lot of trolling around the Rams not having as many fans this weekend as the Bengals will have. Um, so, as, as the St. Louis Post-Dispatch uh, has had a lot of stories on this, the Super Bowl not having as many fans. So I think they're a little biased there. I'm going to I'm going to stay out of that one. <laughs> so. All right. So thank you all so much for being here. I'm absolutely thrilled that we all made this happen. And I want to let everybody know that this episode is dropping on Valentine's Day. So happy Valentine's Day, everyone. <laughs> And I couldn't think of a better way to celebrate Valentine's Day but than by tracking these six $1,000 investments that we made nine months ago. We're going to find out if these choices that I made are outperforming or underperforming the market. So let me recap what we invested in May 5th, 2021. So $1,000 into an S&P 500 ETF, $1,000 into stocks, which were made up of commodities, a tech gaming company, and an electric company. Those are just stocks I picked. Uh, $1,000 into Bitcoin, $1,000 into a case of wine, then $1,000 into REITs, four REITs that I chose. And then we have $1,000 that we decided rather to invest in art. I just decided to buy a piece of art. All right, so everybody, how do we think that this is done from nine months ago to now? Just off the top of your head, not knowing what you know, 
and I'm just going to go in the same order every time. So Maitre, what do you think? I kind of think you did really well. You probably killed it because the market has been on a crazy upward trajectory from what I've seen um, in the stock market. And uh, I guess crypto has, well, it's been moving around a lot, but definitely gone up from a couple of years ago. And like, every, I don't know, everything has just felt like it's going up except for bonds, which is kind of sad for me. But um, yeah, I, I imagine it's done really well. And um, you're more illiquid assets, I guess, like wine um, and then art. Those are things that you're probably planning to hold on to um, for the longer term. So I don't think that's as much of a concern. But from the stock standpoint, you're probably killing it. Okay. I love, I love that thought. All right, Ebony, what do you think? I feel like you were doing very well, like maybe a couple of weeks ago or a month or so ago. Um, and I only speak from my personal experience and I have stopped checking my stocks like every hour on the hour because it was getting really depressing and scary. So I feel like you were doing great. And I feel like the recent like months or like two months have been really uh, scary. I feel like, especially with the crypto, like your Bitcoin, I felt like that kind of probably went, and then, <laughs> but, but no, like, I feel like your cases of wine, the art, those things are like things that you're going to end up enjoying long-term. So some, hopefully you get some type of other fulfillment <laughs> out of them and not looking at your stock abs. <laughs> okay. So I don't like your perspective as much as my trades. <laughs> Mine was just entirely rosy. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Katie, we've had rosy, a little pessimistic. Now your data and numbers. So, what do you? What is your realistic thought? I was actually going to be. <laughs> I don't know if this is exciting, but I was going to go somewhere in the middle. I think if you're talking return over the life of this journey that you're taking, you might still be positive. I know last year was a really good year for the market. Uh, the last few years have been a great, obviously we've been on a bull market for a long time, but the last month or so we have obviously been in correction territory. So I'd say for this quarter specifically, it's probably a bit of a question mark. You might be negative. If yeah, if you, like Ebony, I have also stopped checking my personal investments as I know it has not been positive news for the last few weeks. So um, if it's anything like that, you might be down for this quarter, but maybe still positive overall. We'll see. Okay. So I don't think any of you are quite, quite got it. <laughs> um, and because we have Katie with numbers, the way I look at the numbers is I just look at how much we put in and how much we have now. So every one of these updates is like, how much do we have right now? So nine months in. So if I go over to the spreadsheet that our data and analytics leader has approved very thoroughly, said it was really one of the better spreadsheets she's ever seen. If we go to the bottom and we see the blue line where it has our total return, we are at 1% positive. <laughs> Which I don't consider a good thing. Does anybody know what the S&P 500 has done in the last nine months? I was just looking it up, actually, because I was going to compare. I, I'm looking at the last year on uh, Yahoo Finance. It's up quite a bit. I can't get the return number exactly. But since for the last nine months, it's still very positive, give, even with the last few weeks like dipping down. Oh, wait. Yes, here. I found it. I have the numbers right in front of me. Uh, so we, since we bought it nine months ago, we're up 13% on the S&P 500. 
And I'm saying that because that's like the classic Warren Buffett, like just by the S&P 500. So had I listened to Warren Buffett and all the, and our financial advisor, <laughs> I could be 13% up instead of the 1% up. So I'm feeling a little dismayed on this update. Okay, technically it's not negative, but it it's definitely trailing the market by quite a bit. Okay, so now before we review each one individually, I want to talk about investing strategy because I realize we've never talked about that. And I think that plays into, especially this last month, things tanking and people freaking out. And I just talked with lighting designer Lap Chi Chu and he sort of manages some of his finances. And he was like, yeah, I called my broker and was like, what do we do? What do we do? I thankfully have been busy working and have not even noticed what the stock market has done. But I realized that I should have an investing strategy. But the way I picked these artistic finance choices was literally this. I took the $5,000 and I said, okay, I can lose this. So there, in a sense, we're no risk. We're sacrificing $5,000. Then I was like, well, I'm going to choose half risky things. And then the other half, I'm going to choose really safe things. And then I said, well, I at least want to have some dividends. So I tried to get half of the things that would pay dividends. So then even if they went down, I would still, in theory, make a little money and feel better. And then the way I picked my individual stocks and my REITs was I just sort of knew what the news was of the day. I knew COVID was going on and I sort of tried to narrow it down to like, well, I think this hurt COVID, so maybe it'll go up in the future. And then I would read Motley Fool and see if there was more people pro or against and stuff like that. And so that's literally how the investment strategy for this 6K went. Can anybody give a brief explanation of what an investing strategy is or maybe what a good one might be? I feel like Katie's probably going to have the best perspective on this, but I can throw my hat in the ring from an individual investor perspective, I guess. I think the biggest thing for me is just being consistent about it. So I'll put X amount away every month, no matter what, bar none, into kind of like a retirement portfolio that's separately like managed by an advisor. And then I, on my own, will look at like a lot of, honestly, ETFs and mutual funds, and then try and invest across the board, like in different sectors and sec like doing that like sector rotation. I know right now I've read from some investment prospectuses that there's there's opportunities in international investments. Yeah. Um, so kind of diversifying geographically as well um, is something that I consider. But I think the biggest thing for me is just like being really consistent, making sure like every single month, no matter what, I'm putting some money away into those various investment areas. And then there's also like, I don't know, like we live one life. So like invest in something that is fun and that you like and you care about. And so now that you've, uh, you started talking about investing in cases of wine, I'm like, hmm, well, I do enjoy wine. I love the wine market. So maybe I should, uh, I should put some money in there and it might amount to nothing, but I mean, no matter what, I'll be able to drink the wine. So like, why not? <laughs> um, so I think it's important to like balance out like the rational, okay, like trying to grow my wealth overall and just put money away. Don't think about it. Don't worry about it. Like, don't like it keep you up at night. And then also just like have a little bit of a, an allowance um, to invest in those fun things. So, yeah. Okay. Well, I, oh, Ebony, go ahead. No, I was, I was going to say, I feel like my approach is also very similar. Like I, definitely do what I call like paying myself first, which is like things going into like my 401k and then having like a separate, you know, personal 401k outside of the company. And then I'm definitely in, I would say I'm probably like a little safer or at least with my stock, I 
a lot of mine is like tech or pharmaceutical, just because I feel like those things are going to continue to evolve from there. And then, yeah, I'm investing in things similar to like the case of wine or art. I'm investing in like equipment. Like I recently started looking into like financing some lighting consoles so that I could either use them myself or rent them out purchasing like programs that I know will give me more opportunity for income. I feel like that's how I'm kind of investing in myself. So I feel like it's it's pretty similar. Interesting. Okay. All right, Katie. Yeah. So I'd say, well, one, two, I guess your question of what exactly a investment strategy is, and this is where my long list of disclaimers comes in, but I would say it depends on a lot of things, but it boils down a lot to one, like whatever your risk tolerance is. So obviously some people are going to go for it. Like you balanced it on your strategy here, obviously, but some people are going to go for the riskier stuff all the time. And some people want to play it safe and they're going to go into the fixed income, the the bonds, mutual funds, the riskier people probably going to do more individual stocks or cryptocurrency or whatever that might be. It also depends on your time horizon, which is a big question that we always talk about. So are you saving for retirement or something that might be decades away? Or are you saving for you know buying a new house or something else that you might be doing sooner than that that will impact your strategy as well? So it's a combination of like those goals, the time you have, whatever your risk tolerance is. I'd say for, for myself, I do a combination of all of that. I have investments in retirement some goals that me and my husband want to accomplish in the near term. And our investment strategy is a combination of all of those things. We have mutual funds, we have stocks. It's also like what these guys are talking about, things that you're passionate about, companies that you believe in, those kinds of things. We have some of those stocks as well. And sometimes those are just for fun. So a little bit of everything. Okay, that's great. And also that's a great answer for the episode that's coming out next week that I didn't have you for. You just summed up exactly what we were talking about in, or will be in that episode. Um, okay, and then question, Katie, you mentioned time horizon. So for artistic finance, I didn't plan for an exit strategy. My only exit strategy was we'll wait a year and a day and then we'll sort of review. I don't know, do any of you have exit strategies or is this all just saving until forever? I have no exit strategy. I just put money in and I don't look at it. <laughs> And then, and then I review it on my own or with an advisor, depending on which account it is every year. And sometimes my advisor tells me that it's gone down or I see it going down. And I'm like, well, that was a bummer year. And then <laughs> the next year I see it go up and I'm like, well, okay, that was a good year. So I don't really, I honestly like don't think about it. Hopefully uh, it'll be in a, in a good place when I retire at 60, whatever. So <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Okay. I assume everybody else is the same way, no exit strategy. Yeah, I'd say typically for us, like for our investments, those are things we tr- we try not to touch if possible. If we do have a big expense, we, we do have somewhat of what you'd probably call an emergency fund or if something that we plan to spend a bunch of money on, we try to set the cash aside before investing it because we know we're going to be using it in a shorter amount of time. Okay, so now on to our very first investment here. The S&P 500 ETF, which the one we own is IVV. We put $1,000 in May 5th, 2021, and now February 10th, 2022, it is at $1,131. That's a 13% return. Recently, I've been seeing that people expect the S&P to be between 8 to 12% return annually. Katie, does that make sense? Does that sound right? Yeah, I think <laughs> 8 and 12 is probably a little bit aggressive. I don't know. I feel like to be conservative, we, I tend to stick to like the six to 7% range, but 
I know I've heard conflicting opinions on this and I listened to your <laughs> episodes where you talked about it as well. So I know you've been there. But. Yes. Okay. Okay. Good. Thank you. I've been brainwashed recently because I always thought it was six to 8%. So I'm going back to six to 8% because that Dave Ramsey episode, he only does 12%. So I was like, well, I know that's extreme, but I can get behind eight to 12. But now I'm going back to six or eight. Thank you. <laughs> It's the conservative approach. I definitely say, especially since we've all probably been investing, it's been much higher than that on average. But for most planning purposes, I've always stuck to like six to eight percent. And I think that's what my financial advisor does, too. So, yeah. All right. So we're at 13 percent for that. So I'd say we're right on target and a little better, even even with the drop in the last month or the sort of craziness. But that's going back to my trade's favorite, which is like ETFs. That's 500 companies all bundled in one. While it's more volatile than fixed income, it's still very steady. Okay, so now about risky, the individual stocks. Skills, the tech stock that I thought I was being really smart with, is down 75% from when we purchased it. (laughs) Other people might not be surprised, but I really thought, hey, Katie, numbers person, do you know that the, the stock DraftKings. Yeah, sure. We we had a, an advisor person recommend DraftKings to me, and I thought I was being smarter, and I went with skills because I thought it was like the engine behind sports betting versus the sports betting company. Do you, can you see what skills has done? Because if I should have picked skills, I'll feel really foolish. Yeah, it's down. It's it's down from. So if you're looking back at, I'm looking at May third, which was is close. It was at 48.42, and now it's at 22.78. So it's down more than 50%. Oh, okay. Not quite 75, but (laughs) it is not. It's it's not positive. Okay, so then our electric company, ticker VST, and I consider electric companies to be fairly steady things. That's up 35%. And then here was my accidental choice. So the lithium-ion mining company, that is up 107%. That one balances out my tech stock. And then we had Coors Beverages, beer company. This surprised me, and I picked it semi for the dividend. It's down 13%. I don't know the numbers and why that's down, but I I thought that one would be like steady, like a REIT. Okay, so then if we add up all those stock picks I made, that is actually 13% positive. So that's actually, even with the tanking tech stock, that's that's exactly the S&P 500. So... Also a question for everybody, like, are you just picking stocks on your own? Yeah, I am. I like do a little bit of research uh, on things, but typically I pick things based off of like things that I'm interested in, companies that I already purchased from or am interested in purchasing like products from. But yeah, no, I, I am just doing it on my own. I should probably get like a professional to help me. I like lean on my friend, one of my friends a little bit that uh, is actually does this for a living that works for a company. But yeah, I'm on my own. Especially after these last couple of months, I was like, oh, okay, I need to, all right, I got to lean on somebody. Because I will say that actually the money that we have with an advisor is just in uh, ETFs, pretty much in the S&P 500 and then like an international version of that or something. And then like a little bit of REITs. So I must say that for artistic finance, while I'm making choices in my own personal life, I make zero choices. Yeah, no, I should definitely get an advisor. Um, Like I feel like my like crypto, that was my thing where I was like, all right, I'm gonna get somebody. I need to get somebody because I feel like it's going to be big. But uh, at this point, I, I got I didn't get the right stuff based off of one of your podcasts. <laughs> oh, no. 
I didn't get Bitcoin. I didn't get Bitcoin. Yeah, I was like, all oh, crypto's the same, right? Like crypto, crypto. Nope. Yeah, if any if anybody hasn't li- listened to our crypto episode, so the takeaway was I was trying to do an episode on crypto, and our guest was like, ignore everything else. Bitcoin is the only one. It's technically a crypto episode, but it's only about Bitcoin. And and they explained it very well. So like I'm I'm behind it. Um, but speaking of that, that's our next investment was Bitcoin, which whew, thankfully we picked the right one. However, did we really pick the right one? <laughs> So we bought it at the height. It was never higher priced than when we purchased it at $66,000. The next week it fell by half down to like 30 something. And then our last update, it was actually doing really well. So I was like super happy. It was on its way back. And then the aforementioned previous month, it's now at $44,000. I'm still a believer, I guess. I'm happy that I picked it. But I will say if this was like, my retirement money, I would not have it in Bitcoin <laughs> because it's just a wild ride. So so our $1,000 of Bitcoin is at $750. We are down 23%. So Ebony, you own some or you don't own some? Not not the Bitcoins. I owned the others like Ethereum and, the, you know, all the ones that are not as equivalent apparently. <laughs> but I will say El Salvador is supporting it and I still feel I feel good about it. So now our next investment, wine. How do we think the wine did? Because I picked it as a steady, steady thing. Okay, so Maitre, I know you're interested in wine a little bit. So here we go. So we put $1,000 in. It is valued at $1,073. Here's the thing with the wine. It's, it's steady, but it doesn't pay dividends. And there's like insurance and maintenance fees. But it's a 2.85% annual fee, which is pretty high, like versus our S&P 500 ETF, which is 0.03% fee. Wine is virtually a 3% fee. That $1,073, I took out, I think, $25 in fees. The wine is actually valued closer to $1,100, but I took that out. And so after fees, we're at a 7% return. Which my trade, I would say, is similar to bonds, maybe. Yeah, it can be, depending on the type of bond. Yeah, <laughs> it could be. And I mean, we were talking about the tips bonds last time, right? The inflation protected ones yield at the point we talked was in the 7% territory or something like this. So sounds like a, the same. Yeah. And I'm happy that we're doing the wine investment, but the fees, which I knew about before going into it, but seeing them go away in the total is sort of like grating at me. I'm still happy and it's it's an interesting investment because technically we do own the, the actual wine. We have a real actual thing, but the fees do drive me crazy because I get a statement every month and it shows like $3 off for the fee. I have, uh, there's a seed of doubt in my mind for the wine. And actually my trade, just because you said you're interested in it. So VinoVest is the company that we're using that manages the wine. So they're now offering online trading of wine. So you can log in and set up a separate account from like what we have the the case says, and you can actually trade individual bottles. So you can look and see like who has something out on the market and you can purchase it from them and then hang on to it. And it's all in storage facilities and stuff. So that I think is making it a little bit more like just trading, just logging in and trading. And you, you can do it on your own individually. You don't have to sort of go through somebody to get whatever case is available. That's really neat. Some of the biggest challenges with wine investing are 
liquidity issues, right? I, <laughs> no pun intended. Um, but yeah, <laughs> it's a, it's really, I mean, premium wine, just, you know, there's limitations on the amount that's produced and then getting price discovery on unaware of some bottle or type of wine or what vintage or whatever is really difficult, I think. There's also just interesting dynamics where like, I think supply basically always exceeds demand in premium wine, which is strange (laughs) um, compared to other markets. But now with the supply chain issues that we've been having over several months, I've read that maybe that could be changing a little bit. So it's a a funky market, but that's interesting. I'm going to have to check out VinaVest and well when i originally wanted to purchase i was like i'm just gonna buy a case and put it in the fridge and save it (laughs) and i immediately read that actually auction houses won't sell it if it hasn't been stored properly and they'll only approve it like if it's in a storage facility so every continent has a few storage facilities so you pretty much have to keep it there or you can keep it in your own like if you are a winery and you store it yourself but you have to abide by certain regulations. So you can't just say like, oh, I have a wine fridge and it's always in there. You have to like keep track of how it was transported and all that. So I quickly realized that buying an actual bottle and keeping track of it was gonna be less fees, but way too much hassle. And also, Maitre, you were mentioning like the, like what is the bottle gonna be worth when you're ready to sell it? But to me, everything is like that because a stock is that same way and Bitcoin is that same way. Bonds, I guess, aren't. Well, <laughs> I guess what I meant was like in, in terms of price discovery, like stock markets, very centralized, right? So there's transparent pricing compared with other areas. I mean, this is a huge problem that I'm interested in helping to solve in the bond market. But um, in the premium wine market, I guess there's just there's not like a dashboard you can go to or something like this and be like, OK, this is what the going rate of this you know, Luffy wine is um, so something like this, right? Um, I'm trying to remember what like some of the more fancy, like domain, whatever, I don't know, French words. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, but it's, it's hard to get that like level of price transparency to where you feel confident that you're getting a good deal when you're purchasing, right? Because somebody who's selling it to you might be selling it at a huge premium, but there's no way for you to verify that by checking something else on the market, unless there's something comparable, that makes it challenging. But yeah, it's a cool market. Yeah, no, same. I'm I'm really interested in them now because I used to be in like, I, I enjoy wine. I used to be in a wine club. And so now I'm like, I didn't even think of like this avenue or like approach to wine. So I'm like very intrigued by it. The fee sound sad though. That part makes me sad. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how I don't know how I'm feeling about the wine. I was feeling really good for the first nine months. <laughs> and now now I'm sort of like at a year and a day, which, by the way, also the wine that we got, we're supposed to hold for like 10 years. But I am getting cold feet. And at a year and a day, I'm going to be like, eh. oh, one other thing I wanted to mention about people, if you want to get wine, is you cannot use retirement funds for it. So it's considered a collectible. You just have to keep that in mind. You can't put your retirement money toward it, you have to just have a brokerage account or something like that. Okay, so our last area was REITs. I thought this would be the safest. REITs to me are like bonds. <laughs> I thought this would be like slow and steady. I thought the dividends would be good. Uh, our four REITs, we bought $1,000. They're now at 957 So we're down 
again, I haven't been paying attention to the housing market or the commercial. Re- I don't know. That is, yeah, no, that, I'm, I'm like very surprised by that. Just, I, yeah. Yeah, I'm trying so, to think. Well, okay, so I have this one, SRG is its ticker, but it's down 45%. Katie, can you help us out with that? SRG. <laughs> What is going on with SRG? It's down 50% in the past year. It looks like it took a real, really big dip, like around the beginning of COVID. I don't know if that's true of all the rights or not. Because Well, um, that's why I picked REITs, because I was like, oh, they tanked in COVID, so they're going to go up. This one's really rough on me. <laughs> Seritage Growth Properties. Yeah, it's hard to know what happened there, but that's tough. Uh, see, here's a, here's another thing about me choosing all these things. If I just picked the S&P 500, I would have one thing to analyze. But now with Seritage Growth Properties, I'm like, I don't want to go dig into why. Because it comes down out of our $5,000, it's $200 of it. And that's at the point where I'm like, it's not worth my time and effort <laughs> to go find out what went wrong. Okay, so I'm done talking about these investments. Oh, except for the last one, which is art, which actually my only update on the art is that I was feeling so, so about it. Like I was feeling guilty, like I copped out and I didn't invest like in Masterworks where you can buy part of a Monet. And I was like, that was really doing a disservice for us for tracking all this. But I have been texting Brett, the artist, like back and forth every month. And I'm actually getting really excited. We don't have the art yet, but he's like texting me images and saying like, hey, what about this? Does it look good? What do you think? All this. That whole experience has just been like fun for me. So I'm now feeling really good about the art, which is, of course, giving us the lowest amount of return. Katie, what is $0 on $1,000? What is the return on? Is that negative one? You're getting, hey, you're getting personal fulfillment out of it. So maybe that's, you know, some sort of personal return. Return on your mental health, maybe, or I don't know. There you go. There you go. Let's not go there. But But yeah, oh, okay. And then also, if anybody's a patron, I have written a whole little thing tracking just because maybe I'll cut this part out. But Brett has a very unique way of speaking and texting. And I just find the way he talks like really hilarious. He uses words like dope constantly. He uses no punctuation and no capitalization. And I just like am having a great time with communicating. (laughs) He's like speaking to text. He's like just like holding Siri up like, hey, Siri. So if anybody wants to read it and see pictures of like his sketches and what it's going to look like, and eventually when we get it, which should be soon, uh, I'll put a photo of what it what it is. Okay, so we are up 1% over the last nine months, trailing the S&P 500 by 12%, plus not as many dividends as we would have had had we just had the S&P 500. So has have we learned anything from this? So does anybody have anything that they've learned or observed from walking through this? Um, I I think we talked a little bit about this when we were at LDI together. And I was like, that's a really interesting idea. Like I want, I also am interested in doing something like that this year. I definitely feel like I'm going to get an advisor for sure to help me with all of it, um, which is why I haven't done it yet. I have somebody <laughs> sitting inside but, for it, but I haven't done it yet. Um, I feel like I probably would have leaned more towards like, the S&P 500 in some ways. I still would have done some type of real estate elements uh, just because I feel like that is like a, a really big key to um, building wealth. Most people that are wealthy have real estate. I would have leaned towards those those things a little bit more. And I will say with the real estate, 
even though we have the one that was down 45%, overall we're just down 3%. So a couple of the others were up 13% and something. Even with that one tanking, we're still, we've still been getting dividends and we're still okay. And you, did you use an advisor for those? Like, are you just- No, no, like, no, no. You were just like, I'm gonna do these. <laughs> Remember when I mentioned my investing strategy? That was literally all the time and thought I put into it. There was no- <laughs> I'm just being, because the point of this is like, if I can do it, knowing nothing, like doing it, I'm, I consider myself doing it. Like if anybody were to do this, this is how they would do it. Like if anybody's without an advisor and they're going to do it, they're doing it that way. So that's how I did it is how I think anybody would pick. And so we're seeing if, is that wrong or is that right? Should we have just picked the S&P 500? No, I think that's, I think that's an, an important factor though. Cause I feel like that's currently my portfolio is just this hodgepodge of all these things that I'm just like, I researched that for like 30 minutes and it seems like good enough. Cool. <laughs> no, I think that's like a critical part of the conversation. Yeah. I'd say like for myself, I know like even though I work in, you know, financial services every day, I've learned a lot generally from your whole experiment here on, especially in like the crypto space and the VinoVest, like I really liked that episode on VinoVest. I learned a lot from that and thought it was really interesting. And the, even the crypto episodes that you've done, it's always been a very complex concept. It isn't something that we trade at my work. So I've learned a lot from that. So yeah, I think it's been very informative on the different types of securities that are out there that you can invest in. All right, noted. Maitre, have you learned anything? <laughs> <laughs> totally. Um, yeah, echoing what Katie said, I, I think just learning about different ways that you can invest like creatively, I think that uh, the wine thing is certainly something I'm going to look into now. Um, and also, it seems to me now, like, I mean, obviously, one, hindsight is twenty twenty, and two, this was over, you know, nine months and not, you know, 30 years. But it tells me, it informs a little bit of um, how it's important to like think about managing risk. Like there was a huge chunk of of what you put into like two thirds of of your this portfolio was basically super risky stuff, right? Like individual stocks and then crypto, and the rest of it was you could call it like somewhat risky to very conservative. Um, so this is kind of telling me that it might be interesting to see a strategy where you like kind of more focus on that middle area where it's like kind of like pretty risky, but not like in an extremely risky asset and volatile asset um, and see how that would perform. Because while day to day, you're not seeing those spikes and um, maybe there's not those opportunities to cash out on something really big. Um, it would be interesting to see like what that looks like in the long term. I don't know if that makes sense but um yeah yeah just kind of like what those percentage like how you move those percentages around to make it to kind of optimize that overall performance um would be interesting and, and i i think for myself i've always thought like i'm the riskiest riskiest just go 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 as much return as possible but that being said i have really noticed that i care a lot when i lose by 75 percent or 45%, which by the way, when you break that down, those are like $200 out of the 5,000. And yet I'm like obsessed over them. Um, and a little bit with the Bitcoin is like, that was that was 20% of it. And that like little bit of it is really bothering me. So I think for myself, I'm noticing that I am just like everybody else that they describe when like the stock market goes down. I, you know, freak out, even though in my brain, I'm like, oh, no, I know the stock market goes down. No big deal. But 
it's not quite working out how I thought. Um, also, Maitre, so you are the most safe and secure investor that I know. Do you know, so our 1% that we're up now nine months in, how would that relate to bonds? If I had just chosen, you had mentioned tips, the inflation bonds. What if I had just chosen those? Where would I be at today? <laughs> so I'm looking at a, a chart as we speak um, of the uh, iShares tips bond ETF. And it looks like um, you wouldn't have done great. You wouldn't have done poorly either, um, which makes sense for bonds, I suppose. Um, the moves, it's not quite as volatile. Okay, if you had invested on May 1st, I'm looking at $10,000, but you can extrapolate to $1,000. Um, you'd be up right now by like 1.8% or something like this, like barely 2%. So um, yeah, that would be that would be around what you'd see. Um, that said, I, I think, so right now I'm seeing across the board, like bond yields are going to start kind of going up as we're making these interest rate corrections. So that means prices will go down. So if you like bought and you're trying to sell, um, you know, you may end up doing so at a lower price. I don't know. I'm not going to give investment advice or, or say like, oh, yeah, this is like totally what's going to happen. But um, uh, it might be uh, we might be entering a territory where um, possibly there are like lower prices to be had um, in fixed income. And then higher yields because yields and prices are inversely correlated in the bond market. Okay, so 1.18%. I actually think I'm happy with what I did. Because when we talked, I was like, oh, I should have just done bonds and I would be sleeping better and fine. But I have kept up with the bonds. <laughs> but okay, I thought bonds were going to have like creamed me at this point. Not those bonds. <laughs> <laughs> not not the tips ones, but yeah. But riskier bonds. If I had chosen riskier bonds. Perhaps. They don't <laughs> I exist. <think> <laughs> <we> don't know. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. So Katie, um, question for you since you've seen my numbers and you know numbers. <laughs> and just know any negative thing you say, I will cut out and I will only use the positive things you're going to say. <laughs> um did you look at how I'm calculating my return and all that? Am I doing that correctly? And is there a better way that I could be tracking these numbers? Or is just looking at what I have now versus what I bought it at the best way? I think, yeah, that's I think the simplest way to do it for sure. And you're, I mean, all of your calculations and stuff look fine to me. Um, I'd say you could get into the weeds on some of the details we've talked about, right? Expense ratios. Do you consider the dividends that you're getting back as part of your return? Things like that which can muddy the waters a little bit. You could argue they're more accurate, but I think, I mean, you're definitely in the right ballpark, so. Okay, good. Because again, that's something I'm just doing, like if somebody else is going to do this, like how do we, because when I started to try to track return, I was like, I don't know how to do this. And I was just online looking for, you know, the answer to anything I had at that moment. And so that's what I just landed on was like, how can anybody track it is just look at what you have now, look what you had. And then you can compare it to the S&P 500 and decide. Yeah, I'd say in most cases, I think if you look at whatever website you're using, I obviously, like I invest with Ever Jones, obviously, because I work there. We have like a performance section of our website and it will tell you that it takes into consideration all of your contributions, all your withdrawals, weighted averages of how long you've held. So like if you do like dividend reinvestments, it considers how long those have been in there versus the overall investment and things like that. But it gets complicated. So yeah, the simple 
return calculation is exactly what you're doing. So I thought I was doing something clever, which is taking out the fees when I calculate it. So you're saying that Edward Jones does that too? They take out the fees? Most, I would assume that most, and I mean, I don't know for sure for that experience, but I would assume that most investment websites, if you're going to specifically their like performance section to track that, that they are going to take into consideration the fees that are getting withdrawn. Yeah. Okay. So now, Ebony, just out of curiosity, what would you have done differently had you on May 5th decided to put $5,000 into investments? I, I feel like I definitely would have put more towards the S&P 500. But now, like, thinking, like, I would have put some into real estate. I, I felt like I would have probably gone bonds. Just because for me, like, I feel like, I think Ethan, you and I are kind of the same age. So I, I feel like we have the time to sit there and wait for it. Like, I'm, I don't have, like, an exit strategy because I don't really need one yet. I definitely, I do want to do your experiment, um, is what I'm going to call it. And I'm stealing your spreadsheet. So <laughs> wait, wait, wait. You better talk to Katie before you steal that spreadsheet. You better talk to Katie because. Oh, no, I'm gonna, no, no, I, I will have an advisor. Before I do this, I'm going to have an advisor. You were, I, I think like there's, you know, there's always a control in these like, experiments. <laughs> You know, (laughs) so I'll have an advisor before I do it. And then like, we should do this episode in like another year, like a recap. And then we can. May 5th 5th is when we'll do the final, but you can start your journey that we can then track. That'd be perfect. Other people having journeys that when mine's not going so well, we can talk about yours. (laughs) And I feel like I also probably would have invested um, in equipment, like physical things that I could rent out. So like, I think I would have probably bought like a hazer or two, or like I'm looking into buying like a couple of consoles, things that like I can rent out that will end up paying back. But then also like I can use for personal projects. Um, I would have like invested in physical things too. So when we reach a year and a day, do you think that I'm going to want to rebalance? Am I just going to want to hold everything the same? Uh, am I going to want to sell off some things? Am I want to get some new things? I would probably. Okay. So I know that Federal Open Market Committee, I forget what it is, but they're going to make those corrections in the federal funds rate. And so that's going to, I don't know to what extent it's going to shake up the market, how and, you know, actually like when they're actually going to like make all those corrections. But there's definitely some uncertainty, I feel like. Um, I don't know. I've just kind of seen a little bit more of that. And so I think it's never probably a great idea to like move a huge portion of your assets around constantly, like depending on how you're feeling about the market, because that's like trying to trying to play the market, which is probably not the best strategy. But um, maybe taking some of those more volatile assets, like moving a small portion of those into something a little bit safer as we enter that uncertain territory pay off um, in the long run. I, <laughs> I I can't venture a guess, but um, I think that could be a good idea. Um, yeah, that, that's what I would do. Um, okay, I expected nothing less from you, my Trey. <laughs> Very, let's get a little less risky. <laughs> of course, <laughs> got to be true to my my boundaries. <laughs> okay, so Katie, what do you think? You're in a day. Am I going to stick with all this, or am I going to shake it up? <laughs> I think, based on what you've told us so far, I'm going to bet that you're going to not stick with it, considering you're. <laughs> how risk averse it sounds like you already are but i would personally probably try to hold on to it as long as i could but that is not 
necessarily the right decision for everybody, but I feel like over time, more often than not, you're going to end up being positive as long as you can hold on to it for a long time. That's assuming you have the freedom to do that and it works for you. So, Well, what I didn't want to mention on the show was that there's this investor named Ian Dunlop that I like. And um, he always says, hold anything for 10 years, make a mistake, hold it for 10 years. When in doubt, hold for 10 years. I didn't want to commit to holding these for 10 years, but that is in the back of my brain of like, hold it for 10 years because I cannot fail in theory. <laughs> Although in some cases you could benefit from selling off your losses from a tax perspective, tax loss harvesting. So you never know to talk to your CPA. <laughs> okay, now that's just way, way over my head. <laughs> Can offset gains with losses most of the time. I cannot say tax loss harvesting with a straight face. <laughs> Like, there's just something about saying that phrase that just, like, it's just not right. <laughs> the harvesting part. <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess it could be the harvesting <laughs> Remembering that it's Valentine's Day, I would love to end this show with love. And so now this last question is for, for all those folks that are listening who they don't want to give a box of chocolates on Valentine's Day, and instead they want to give something that can improve their loved one's finances. So question for all of you, which is, what could someone get for you or do for you financially that would show that they love you? <laughs> you could uh, you could get me that uh, $1,000 worth of Bordeaux. I would certainly not say no to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, I've, I've been thinking if, I, if somebody were to give me a gift for, for Valentine's Day to show me they love me, um, I think it would be cool to actually donate money to uh, like a valuable cause. Well, not only is it for, you know, me wanting to my money or encourage other people to use their money for, for something good. Um, but then also from the finance standpoint, you know, you do get like tax advantages for donations you make for philanthropic donations. So that can be advantageous, but more so it's important to me just because I think it's, I don't know, really important to, to consider. Um, like where we're at and what we can do with our money to help other people. So, yeah. All right, Ebony, what could somebody do for you that isn't a box of chocolates, but would show that they love you? No, I, I really like this question mostly because I'm not like a, a big gift person. Like I believe in like experiences and, and, and like physical things that I can see, right? Like not, oh, we went out to dinner. Like dinners are nice sometimes. I don't know. It would either be um, like some software because uh, I'm a nerd and always building my my skills. Um, so like a license to like a program that I'm interested in or uh, I'm really I really, really want to like open an event space. So contributions to that fund that I'm currently saving for would be huge V-Day gift. How much do you need in that fund in order to pull the trigger on that? 10 to 15, depending on um, the space, mostly because there'll be some repairs, things to like make it into an event space, a little lighting package, a little video package. So it's mostly like any equipment going to that. Um, any like painting and, and floor installation and stuff. Got it. Okay. Someone's thought this through. All right, Katie, what could somebody do for you financially <laughs> to say, I love you? <laughs> I would say, man, I really like the philanthropic answer. I wish I would say that was my thought from the beginning. But <laughs> when you first asked the question, my thought is I have a two and a half year old daughter and a four month old son that would love their 529s to get a donation because 
paying for college is not cheap or any form of post-secondary school. That would be huge. We definitely try to give what we can to those these days. All right. Noted, noted, noted. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So now the real final question, where can people connect with you if you want them to? Maitre, where can people connect with you? Um, Connect with me on LinkedIn. Yeah, I'd be happy to um, connect over email or LinkedIn. Um, And I'm open to connecting with anyone. I like learning from people and sharing what I know. So, which is hopefully enough (laughs) to make an impact. So, um, yeah, um, I'd love to connect. All right. Uh, Ebony, what about you? Email um, is honestly pretty good for me Or, or, or like through my website, you can contact me. Uh, and I want to connect with like other like artists that are also interested in investing uh, an advisor, a financial advisor that understands artists and like how our industry and how um, fluid it is. Um, so if you're an advisor out there, hit me up because I'm looking and I need you. I need your brain. Um, yeah. So th- those are the folks. All right. Noted. All right, Katie, where can people connect with you? Yeah, I'd say for me, definitely email is good. LinkedIn and Instagram probably are the best. I'm happy to have anyone reach out to me. Well, any, I know I'm not in the artistic field, but I am a fan of the arts. So anyone, both (laughs) financial interests or artists, I'm down for any of it. And always happy to talk finance stuff. I'm like a nerd in that way. So it's fun. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I feel like we didn't let your true nerd colors quite come out today. Probably. <laughs> I want to hear them. I want to hear them, though. I'm very interested. <laughs> I, I suspect that you will be on for like an episode of your own. I'm like almost guarantee it. I would love that. Yes. Happy to come back. Okay. All right. All of you, thank you so much for all your energy. And I hope that I see you all again on May 5th for our 6K year in review. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. It's been fun. Thank you, Ethan. Thank you. It's been, yeah, super fun. That's it for the 6K update. My only takeaway is that these investments are actually more conservative than I thought. The Wine, the REITs, and the S&P 500 ETF are conservative choices, which puts this portfolio diversification at 40-60, with only 40 being volatile. Here I've been thinking that I was a risky, risky guy. So what do you think of these investments and this experiment? Are you enjoying it? Have you learned anything? And are there any investments or financial topics that you want to learn more about? Please comment on LinkedIn and let me know or email artisticfinancepodcast at gmail.com with any feedback. In the show notes, you'll find a link to our guests' social media handles. You'll also find a list of all our investments and affiliate links if you want to sign up for VinoVest or any of the investment apps that we're using. A big, ginormous thank you to my patrons. We are destigmatizing money conversations amongst artists and providing a service to those that are seeking financial knowledge. You, the patrons, are making that happen, and I cannot thank you enough. Now, all patrons get early releases to episodes which includes next week's show where we help stage manager Elena Sartor choose her 401k investments. If you want to become a patron and make a monthly pledge, you can do that for as little as $3 a month, and you can do that at patreon.com artisticfinance. That's patreon.com artisticfinance. And if you would rather make a one-time payment, you can purchase t-shirts and swag in our merch store, 
at artisticfinance.com. And as my lovely wife, Nicole, whispered in my ear this morning, nothing says I love you like an artistic finance coffee mug. If Patreon isn't right for you, and if artistic finance swag isn't your jam, you can always pay the fee for listening, which is to tell somebody about the show. Many thanks to listening to my favorite episode to date. I want you to stay beautiful. I love you every day, but today especially, I love you. That's it for today. Until next week, break a leg. Thank you for listening to Artistic Finance. Make sure to subscribe. To access our show notes, transcripts, or resources, go to artisticfinance.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decision, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Artistic Finance. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.